Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. The Two-Footed Podcast is brought to you by EPLindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider. A virtual privacy network allows you to go online, change your location, access things you're geo-blocked from while keeping your data safe. So, as an example, if you are a UK expat and want access to BBC iPlayer to watch Match of the Day or ITV Hub or all four, but you get that message that says this content is not available in your location, a Liberty Shield VPN gets you around that block, allows you to watch whatever you want on those services while also keeping your data safe. And it goes further than that. It allows you to open up Netflix's entire library by just changing your IP address. Liberty Shield is the number one rated VPN provider on Trustpilot with five-star ratings across the board. So go to libertyshield.com right now, use the code EPL25, and get either the hardware package or the software package. The hardware package is a router that you plug into your existing router, And any item you want to change the IP address on, be it your phone or your television, you connect that to the new Liberty Shield router. All other items can remain connected to your existing router. There's also a software package, which is instantly downloadable to your device, and you can get using straight away. Again, libertyshield.com, EPL25 for 25% off at checkout. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk and do check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops, which you'll find on Etsy. Use the codes EPL10 or RED10 for 10% off at checkout. And lastly, do remember to check out a tad predictable hosted by Tadiwa. That podcast is on this feed before every Premier League match week. And then the EPL Roundtable, hosted by Kevin DeVries, on its own EPL Roundtable feed. So just search EPL Roundtable in your podcast device. And that's out after every match week. Now, on with the show. Good boys and girls, two for the podcast on Monday, the 13th of February. How are you all? I hope you had a nice weekend. I did not. I've been sick all weekend. I'm still sick. Still don't feel good, but I can shout today, which is good. That's a first since probably Thursday. Just in time for Liverpool to ruin my week. But before we get to them, let's look at this weekend's Premier League action starting out on Saturday morning. Saturday lunchtime, West Ham won, Chelsea won. Joe Felix putting Chelsea one up after a sumptuous pass from Enzo Fernandez. Emerson Palmieri equalising 12 minutes later after some god-awful defending by both Thiago Silva and Reese James. Uh, Chelsea did have another two goals disallowed um, for offside. One might have been for a foul. One was definitely for offside. But all in all, I don't think Chelsea could be too upset with the fact that they didn't win the game. Now, there was a little bit of controversy in this game. Chelsea probably should have had a penalty. There's a shot from the edge of the box. Thomas Suchek slides to try and block it, puts his arm down, and his arm very clearly deflects the ball 
and sends it wide. It probably should have been a penalty, but I, I genuinely don't think Chelsea deserved to win the game. And I haven't I haven't seen Chelsea fans saying that they felt they deserved to win the game either. They were quite annoyed and disappointed by the performance. They had lots of possession, 72%. There was some nice passing in the middle third. Enzo ran the game without really breaking sweat. Chelsea, West Ham spent mo- most, uh, much of the game chasing shadows. But in the final third, Felix tried to make things happen and his movement and his touch and his link play were really impressive. But Mureki didn't play well. Mudrik was awful. And most of the better things that Kai Havertz did came when he was dropping deeper and winning the ball back. They really did lack any kind of incision in the final third. You would would have hoped that one of the wingers would have been able to isolate against one of the outside centre-backs. But West Ham playing that 3-4-2-1 shape were able to be very, very compact and not allow Mudrik or Mudeki to get 1v1 against Carrer or Agard, they had Emerson and Sufal dropping back. So every time they picked the ball up, there was just no space to move into. All things considered, it's a good point for West Ham, a needed point for West Ham. But Chelsea will again be disappointed. Chelsea are ninth in the league. That's three straight draws. And they don't look like a team that has a real identity. They look like a group of players that have been thrown together. Because by and large, that's what they are. You look at that team that started. Badia Chile, new. Cucurella, new. Fernandez, new. Mureki, new. Felix, new. Mudrik, new. That's, that's six new players just this season. Just this season. Six new players. Five of whom arrived in January. And that's problematic. When... When you're on the 11th of February and five of your players arrived in January, you can't expect them to have any sort of, you know, any sort of chemistry, any sort of idea of what the other players are are going to do. There hasn't been enough time on the training ground. So while I get that Graham Potter is under pressure and I get that the fans are, a little bit antsy. Turn your an- your angst towards Todd Bowley because he's the one that did this, not Graham Potter. Potter's making the best of a bad situation. And now they still have players to come back, Fafana, Kovacic, Kante. But the issue for them is they don't have... Look, High Havertz can work as a nine if you put three goal scorers behind him. And allow Kai to be sort of that creative hub playing back to goal. That, I believe, will work. However, Mudeki, Felix and, M- and Mudrik, they're not goal scorers. They're all creative players. So where are the goals going to come from? Like, ideally, with Kai, behind him, you would have Mason Mount, Raheem Sterling and... Let's just say Mudrik as the or Felix as the third. Either or. To give a bit more creativity and a bit of pace and a bit of line breaking and a bit of a more dynamic edge. But to play this kind of front line, that is doomed to failure. I didn't really understand why uh, David Datro Fafana didn't get an opportunity to come on in this game. Because I thought with his pace and direct nature, from what we've seen so far, he could have made a difference. Uh, West Ham stay sick. They're up to 16th in the league now, um, which is good. You know, they're they're moving away from the bottom three. However, an Everton win tonight will drag them a little bit back down. They'll go to 17th. Leeds will drop into the bottom three. I just can't believe how bad West Ham have been this season, but they have shown signs of life recently. That's five points now from the last three games. 
unbeaten in three, which is the best run they've had all year. But it, look, 12 defeats in 22 games is completely unacceptable. And despite the fact West uh, Chelsea didn't deserve to beat them, West Ham certainly didn't deserve to beat Chelsea. They were comprehensively outplayed and, and Chelsea were really let down by Chelsea more so than anything else. Uh, moving on, Fulham 2, Nottingham Forest 0. William with the opener on eight of oh, 17 minutes and Manor Solomon wrapping it up on 88 minutes. Fulham fully deserved the win here. I have to give credit to William. He looked beyond washed in his last kind of six months at Chelsea and his time at Arsenal. He didn't look like the Premier League was the place for him anymore. But he's having a cracking little season for Fulham. And that's a stunner of a goal he gets. And it was great to see Manor Solomon, who's had a horrible season with the injury he suffered that caused him the first half of the season. It's great to see him getting on, getting minutes and getting a goal. Good win for Fulham. They needed that win because they've been on a poor run for the last few games. Two defeats and a draw going into that one. Uh, gives them an, another little lift. 35 points now from 23 games. Said it all along. All they want is safety. They're very close to safety. And if they get that, I think they'll be happy with this season. Uh, for Forrest, they'll be disappointed because they really had turned their season around. They, they're starting to play a lot better. This was a poor performance. But they remain 14th in the league. Now, they're six points off, uh, six points outside the relegation zone. But like I said, Everton still have to play. So, you know, that could drag it back a little bit. It would go to five. They're five points clear of Leeds. I still think Forrest are going to be okay. But that that performance, they can't afford too many more of them. I didn't... They missed Danilo in midfield massively. I thought Mangala and Freuler struggled because they haven't been playing together game in, game out. There, there isn't the connection there that you'd like this is one of the risks of so many new signings you also had some injury bad luck in the game as well for Forrest but the biggest thing for me is that they need to settle on an 11 now and move forward with that 11 the rest of the season they had some moments in the game but I thought Fulham were deserving winners Uh, moving on Leicester 4, Tottenham 1. Leicester 4, Tottenham 1. By far Leicester's best performance of the season. By far Spurs' worst performance of the season. Benton Kerr put Spurs 1 up on 14 minutes. And then mad things happened. Nampali's Mendy, not a player known for his goal-scoring ability, scores an absolute worldie on 23 minutes, rifling home from... Probably 18 yards out, slightly inside the box, but on an angle. First time hit, buried in the top corner. Uh, His first goal for Leicester in his 109th game. His second career goal in his 329th career game. And if we include national team, uh, it's his second goal in 352 games. So very much a collector's item. I would love to see the goal he scored for Nice and see if it was also a worldie. Um, But this was a stunner of a strike. Absolutely stunning. So congrats to him. Uh, Madison made it two on 25. Iheanacho made it three on the stroke of half time. Harvey Barnes was robbed of a perfectly fine goal by a bad offside decision before he himself made it four. Now, there's been a lot of consternation about VAR decisions over the weekend, and the ones that are getting highlighted are the Suchek handball, the Brentford goal that we'll come on to, and the disallowed Alexis McAllister goal that we'll come on to. But this Harvey Barnes goal should be mentioned along with it. If you look at the image with the lines, the lines are clearly drawn on Harvey Barnes and Eric Dyer. If you look behind Eric Dyer, you will see Ben Davies is deeper than Eric Dyer. And the line drawn off Eric Dyer basically runs 
through the middle of Ben Davies. And his shoulder is further towards his own goal than Harvey Barnes' foot based on the lines drawn. So that one needs to be mentioned as well. Obviously, it doesn't really matter because it would have been the fourth goal in what would have been a 5-1 win. So it doesn't really matter here, neither here nor there. So, um, But still, it, it's worth mentioning that Harvey Barnes was robbed of a perfectly fine goal. Uh, Ian Acho was brilliant in this game, absolutely toyed with that Spurs defence. Eric Dyer, middle name is, was appalling. That is some of the worst defensive play you're ever going to see. And in a further blow to Spurs, as well as getting their pride battered, uh, Rodrigo Bentoncourt is out for the rest of the season with a torn ACL. That comes at a time where they already have some injuries. Uh, Ease Basuma out for the foreseeable, having had surgery. Uh, stress fracture on his left ankle. He might not be back this season. So now you're missing, I would say, your two best midfielders. So you've got Heusberg. You've got Papi Matarsar, who's very promising. You've got Ollie Skip, who's promising. Other than that, I don't really know what they're going to do. Moving on. Arsenal won. Brentford won. Brentford were the better team here. And Brentford had the better chances in this game. Ivan Tony hit the crossbar when he really should have scored. He put another one wide when he really should have got it on target. Arsenal didn't really threaten. They looked, they looked very poor, the same way they did last weekend against Everton. They didn't cope well with the physicality of Ivan Tony and that Brentford midfield. And Janelt, Norgard, and Jensen were able to physically dominate for stretches in that game. Now, Arsenal did, of course, create some half chances, but nothing clear-cut. There's not one great David Reyes save in that game. Arsenal go ahead through Leandro Trossard on 66 minutes. The typical Arsenal goal. Saka, give and go with Odegaard, gets in behind, cuts it across, back post happen. It's the same goal that Arsenal and Man City score 15 times a season. Ivan Tony equalises eight minutes later. And there's controversy about this goal because they don't draw the lines, apparently. Lee Mason was on VAR. Now, Lee Mason is an awful referee. And that, you know, translates to him being an awful VAR. But if he's forgotten to draw the lines, that's an absolute shocker. Um, Either way, the goal is given. Jensen sets up Tony. Tony finishes from two yards out. Uh, Aaron Ramsdale is hilarious for the goal, though. Absolutely hilarious. If you, if you haven't seen the still images, go and find them. You'll find them on Twitter. He just looks comical. Um, Brentford deserved a point here. That's the bottom line of it. So, yes, Arsenal can feel slightly aggrieved that the, refer- that the VAR made a mistake, but let's not forget that Arsenal have benefited multiple times this season from VAR decisions. So, yeah, they can't be too upset. They've had pretty much everything go in their favour this season. This is when things start to balance themselves out. Arsenal remain top. Brentford are eighth. But Brentford are on a good unbeaten run and uh, playing good football. So they'll be very, very happy with how things are going. Crystal Palace won. Brighton won. Solly March put Brighton one up on 63 minutes. James Tompkins equalised six minutes later after an absolutely catastrophic error by Robert Sanchez uh, dropping a ball under basically no pressure. Tompkins heads home from a yard out with nobody in the net. Um, Alexis McAllister had two moments here. One, there was a question of whether he should have been sent off. I don't think he should have been. I think a yellow card is, is fair. Yes, in a still image, it looks bad. He catches the player on the shin, but there's no real force behind it. Uh, but his goal should have stood. Again, they drew... 
the lines off the wrong player. That's what happened here. They drew the lines off the wrong player. Um, so Brighton, I think, will feel aggrieved by that. But a draw was probably the fair result on balance of play. Brighton sit sixth in the league. Palace are 12th. Both of them will be fairly happy, though I do think Palace need to find a few wins from somewhere. They've got 25 points, which has them seven points ahead of Everton, six ahead of Leeds. So it's not a million miles from the bottom three. You know, they're not safe from being dragged back into it. And given their recent form, they do look like a team that could get dragged back into it. But I think they're good enough defensively and they can grind out enough draws that even if they don't pick up the wins, I still think they'll be safe. Uh, Moving on, Southampton won Wolves 2. I mean, I don't even know where to start with this. Southampton got one up through Carlos Alcaraz on 24 minutes. Mario Lamina is sent off for the bizarrest thing I've ever seen. He'd been booked. He got fouled. He protested. He ran over to the referee to protest the fact that he'd been fouled. And the ref just turns around and sends him off. Now, obviously, I don't know what he said, but it did seem like the referee sent him off because how dare you question me? It was a bizarre decision. That should have been the green light for Southampton to just go and win this game comfortably. But Jan Bednarak scores one of the most ridiculous own goals you'll ever see on 72. And then January signing Zhao Gomes, new boy from Brazil, very promising, very highly rated midfielder, scores the winner on 87 minutes. Nathan Jones, more on him later, comes out and says that the red card helped Wolves. And it, the red card is what calls Southampton the win. That fella is mental. Uh, Wolves are 15th. They're getting some traction finally this season. Three wins in the last four. They look a lot better. They're playing with more belief. They're far better organized. They're going to be okay. Uh, Southampton are now bottom. Oh, they, sorry, Southampton stay bottom. There's a three-point gap from them to Bournemouth and Everton, four to Leeds. They're not out of it. They're far, far from out of it, but they need to turn things around quickly. Um, We'll come back to them and turning things around in a sec. Guy is telling me something here. Let me see this. Another player got booked in the weekend for being the third player to approach a referee. Oh, so maybe this is a new rule where if you if three players approach the ref from one team, that player gets booked. If that's the case, it would be nice if that was you know announced that so that everybody knew. But at the same time, you can't be sending people off for that. You just can't. That's ridiculous. Uh, Bournemouth won. Newcastle won. Marco Sinisi scores on 30 to put Bournemouth one up. Miguel Almiron equalises on the stroke of half time. A draw, very much a fair result in this game. Newcastle just don't look like they can score enough goals. And that's been a big problem for them in recent weeks. They're struggling to win games. They're impossible to beat. That's, that's the thing. They've only lost once all season. But 10 wins, 11 draws is a little bit... Uh, is a little bit bland for my taste. I think it's five draws in the last six. They've had a spell like this before, of course. You think back to the start of the season, and this is what Newcastle were doing. They were drawing left, right, and center. Uh, Here we go. So, start of the season, they beat Nottingham Forest. They draw three in a row, lose to Liverpool, draw another two. So, we were... Seven games in, they had one win. Then they went on a run where they won seven of eight with a draw in the middle. But since the World Cup, they've only won twice. They beat Leicester 3-0. They beat Fulham. They've had three nil-nil draws and two 1-1 draws. One, two, three, four, five, six, eight. They've only scored more than one goal eight times this season. Oh, 
only one team, sorry, only two teams have scored more than one against them. Though that's that's really impressive. City got three, Liverpool got two. And nobody else has scored more than one this season. Clean sheet against Forest, clean sheet against Brighton, clean sheet against Palace, clean sheet against United, Everton, New- uh, Villa, Chelsea, Leicester, Leeds, Arsenal, Fulham, and Palace. 12 clean sheets. That's very, very impressive from 22 games. Defensively, they're great, but it is costing them going forward. They miss Gimerish massively. But that's a good point for Bournemouth. Now, they will still be disappointed because obviously they need points. They're second from bottom. Toon stay fourth. Uh, two points clear of Spurs, who are fifth, with a game in hand. So that's that's pretty good for them. They'll be thrilled. They've got a cup final coming up as well, which will take uh, a lot of their focus. Uh, moving on then to Sunday's two games. Leeds nil, Manchester United 2 um, an undeserved three points for United. Leeds were the better team. Leeds dominated the game, but they didn't create any clear chances. And United were, were ruthless when they got their chances. And credit to them. Marcus Rashford scores at 80 minutes, a great header from a good Luke Shaw cross. Garnacho makes it two on 85. And uh, this is entirely the fault of Luke Ayling, who throws himself into a tackle about five yards inside his own half, on Garnacho for no reason at all. The ball's already gone. Throws himself in, lies on the floor. Garnacho just runs away. Ailing gets up and jogs back as Garnacho sprints away, gets fed the ball, and scores. I don't understand why Luke Ailing is in the team. I really don't. And uh, they've got a managerial decision to make soon because they've got to get somebody appointed quickly. Um, and we'll come back to that after the break. Last game then, City 3, Villa 1. Rodri opens the scoring with a header on four minutes. Ilke Gundogan doubles the lead on 39 minutes from an assist by Erling Haaland after embarrassing defensive work by Callum Chambers. Uh, Mares makes a three on the stroke of half-time after Jack Grealish dives to win a penalty. 3-0, game over. Um, Villa did put up a bit of a fight in the second half. Ollie Watkins scored. Good work from, I think, Duran and, I want to say, Douglas Louise. Win the ball back, set him free. Good finish. Duran hits the crossbar. Probably would have been offside. Probably would have been offside, but the touch and volley, or half-volley, are sensational. Nearly breaks the crossbar. Um, City City won the game comfortably, but Villa did have moments in the second half where they looked like they could have caused them more problems. Uh, and that's basically it. That is what we have. City are now second in the league, three points behind Arsenal. Arsenal do have a game in hand, but they still have to play City twice. And they have to go to Newcastle. And they have to go to Anfield. I I, I think this is the start of Arsenal. Stumbling and bumbling and City just, you know, cruising past. They play each other on Wednesday. Now, the game is at the Emirates. But I think Arsenal have to win that game. Because if that ends in a draw, I think it's very much advantage City. Even with Arsenal having the game in hand, I think it's advantage City. If City win then I think it's as good as over. You look at City's running. Arsenal, the last six. Arsenal, Fulham, Leeds, Everton, Chelsea at home, Brentford. Like, it's it's not straightforward, but it's not difficult. Whereas City away... Chelsea, Newcastle away, Brighton, Forest and Wolves. That's much more difficult in my view. And that comes off the back of having played Liverpool away 
West Ham away, who could well be fighting for the lives at that point. Southampton at home, who will be fighting for the lives. I think Arsenal's run is just tougher. I do just think it's tougher. But it may well all come down to that game at the Etihad on the 26th of April. But that away trip to Newcastle, that's horrible. And then Brighton at home, that's not easy either. That's a really tough one. To go to the city ground where Forrest could still be in the relegation mix. Like you've got West Ham, Southampton, Forrest and Wolves who could all be in the relegation mix. You've got City and Newcastle. City will be going for the title. Toon will be going for top four. Chelsea may well have figured things out by then. And you know they'd like nothing more than to knock Arsenal off. And then that Brighton game. That's that's really tough. I think their last last six for certain is tougher. Um, I think just think City's is a bit more straightforward. Uh, we'll take a break. Having confirmed that the league table looks. Arsenal, City, United. Newcastle, Spurs, Brighton, Fulham, Brentford, Chelsea, Liverpool, Villa, Palace, Leicester, Forest, Wolves, West Ham, Leeds, Everton, Bournemouth and Southampton. One more game to play in this round. That is tonight. It is Liverpool at home to Everton. That game is an 8pm kickoff and could well be horrible. Could well be horrible for, for everybody, not just for Liverpool fans. It could just be an awful spectacle because they're both four teams. Uh, So, yeah, enjoy that one. Uh, We'll take a break. And when we come back, then we'll go through the news, including news of a very sad moment for the Premier League and Premier League fans. See you in a sec. Right, welcome back. Premier League fans, we must mourn as one the end of Nathan Jones as Southampton manager. Southampton announced yesterday that they have parted ways with Mr. Jones after just three months in the job. That is three months that included a six-week break for the World Cup. Uh, so basically, he was in charge for about six weeks. Um, a reign that began with a 3-1 defeat at Anfield, continued after the World Cup break with a 3-1 defeat at home to Brighton, a 2-1 defeat away to Fulham, a 1-0 defeat at home to Forest, a 2-1 win away to Everton, proving that Frank Lampard is in fact the worst manager in the league. A 1-0 defeat at home to Villa. A 3-0 defeat away to Brentford. And a 2-1 defeat at home by 10-man Wolves. Zero points taken at home in the league. Zero points. Eight Premier League matches overseen. Eight of them. Seven defeats. One win. Three points from eight games. Eight games. They gave him a three and a half year contract and he lasted eight Premier League games. Now, to his credit, to his credit, they're still in the FA Cup. They beat Crystal Palace. They beat Blackpool. They'll play Grimsby. So you'd expect them to make the sixth round. To his credit, they knocked out Lincoln and they knocked out Manchester City in the League Cup before losing both legs to Newcastle and going out of the League Cup. But still, they made the semifinals. But that league form is, that's atrocious. That's a disgrace. One win from eight. No draws. No draws to be had at all. He leaves with a record of played 14, won five, and lost nine. The Cups doing the heavy lifting there for his record. It makes him the seventh shortest tenure in Premier League history. However, when we factor in that there was a World Cup break, it would make it much shorter than that. Uh, If you're wondering, 
Colin Todd lasted 98 days. Jones, 95 days, uh, inclusive of the six-week break, which would actually put him at somewhere in the region of about 55. In terms of, of days where games are being played, he lasted about 55 days. Uh, Terry Connor, 91 days. Kike Sanchez Flores, 85 days. So you can never really put too much stock in what uh, Watford do. Bob Bradley, 84. Frank DeBoer, 77 days. Uh, Rene Muhlenstein at Fulham, 75. Les Reed, 41 days at Charlton. Uh, took over from Dowie in November and was sacked on Christmas Eve. Uh, so he would be number one and Nathan Jones would actually be number two if we take out the World Cup break. But of course, Frank De Boer, uh, a very special run with Crystal Palace where some of his 77 days were, of course, preseason. Uh, he actually lasted five games. So his is the shortest tenure. Without question. He was sacked on the 11th of September. The 11th of September. That's... What day did the season even start? Crystal Palace uh, 16-17 is what we're looking for. No, 17-18. 17-18. The season began on the 12th. He lasted a month. A month. Four league games is what he was given. Four league games, lost all of them, did win against Ipswich in the League Cup and was sacked. So Frank De Boer remains the worst and shortest reign in Premier League history. Um, But Nathan Jones is top three. What an absolute shambles that has turned out to be. And he will be most remembered for the ridiculous things that he said in press conferences. He'll not be missed. He'll not be missed at all. But they have to get it right now. They have to get this right. If we look at the odds to replace him, Jesse Marsh is favourite. I have to say I think that will be that will be a poor appointment. I like Jesse Marsh. I just don't think this is the job for him. I really don't think this is the job for him. He's four to one on. Stephen Gerrard is second favourite. You have to hope that's just idiots throwing money at something that they don't understand because Gerrard's not a good manager. Pochettino is next. Ten to one. He's obviously been at Southampton before. There's zero chance, I think, that he'd take that job. Unless he was willing to take it till the end of the season and just try and keep them up. That could be interesting. Um, Sam Allardyce is 12 to one. Heaven forbid. Marcelo Gallardo is 14 to 1. Nuno Espirito Santo is 16 to 1. He's the name that stands out to me as making sense here. Uh, Ivan Juric is 20 to 1. Ruben Salas is 20 to 1. He's currently the caretaker manager. He had been uh, Hassan Hootl's assistant, came in in the summer. Um, He's got no experience, but he's very, very highly regarded. But I, I just don't think you can give the job to a novice. Uh, Ange Postacoglu, no chance he'd take it. Chris Wilder should be avoided at all costs uh, in this scenario. Rafa Benitez would be a no from me. And Wayne Rooney is is just not very good. I mean, he obviously did fairly well at Derby in the circumstances, but it's been a disaster at DC United. Uh, of that list, Pochettino would be the dream if you're a Saints fan, but I just don't see it. I think Nuno's the one that makes sense. I think he's the type of manager that can grind his way to keeping you up. And I think you've got the players to play Nuno's style of football as well. Nuno likes to play that 3-4-3. 
I think you've got the players for it. The one doubt I would have is how you use Ward Price. Because I think I think you need to go. I think you need to go Diallo and Lavia as a double pivot. You could play Ward Prowse as a wing back. Play Ward Prowse and Walker Peters as your wing backs, maybe, for a bit more experience and a bit more kind of nous in those roles. Bella Kotchup, one of the other centre backs, Coletta Carsby, the best bet. And Salisu was a back three. Front three should pick itself. I would say go Alcaraz, Onahua, and um, and Sulemana, who was sensational at the weekend. I think that's their best bet. I think he would be the best fit. Um, but they've got to make a decision soon and they've got to get this done soon. They can't They can't afford to wait. Bruno Lage is an interesting one, actually, Guy. Because Bruno Lage, I know it didn't go well with Wolves this season, but defensively, he knows how to coach a team. And I think they, there is enough firepower there. There's a lot of pace, in, especially the likes of Sekou Mara, as well as Camaldine Sulemana. Bruno Lage is an interesting one. For sure. Yeah, if he he's if he's still knocking about and open to a job, I think that could be a good one. There's a there's someone who's been linked to the Leeds job and not to that one that I actually think would be the perfect one is Kettle Nutson from Bodo Glimt. But again, it's a big risk to ask him to come in. But stylistically, I think he would fit well with that squad. Um obviously Leeds are looking for a new manager as well. And that's going to complicate things for both teams because they're both going to be looking at the same pool of managers. Now, Leeds' list is a bit more ambitious, but the Saints' list hasn't really had time to take shape yet. There hasn't been much in the way of reports, so we'll we'll wait and see. Uh, Alfred Schroeder is the favourite at the moment. Uh, He's not a good manager. If you fail at Ajax to the point where you're sacked halfway through your first season, uh, I have to question how good a manager you are because that's that's like a home run in terms of building your CV. So he's failed there. He'd be he'd be a definite no for me. Uh, Ira, Ira Ola is still high on the list, but it doesn't look like Rayo Vallecano are willing to give him up. He'd actually be a great fit for Southampton as well. Uh, Gerard is 8-1. to one. Again, I think this is just stupid people throwing money at things. Nuno's 11 to 1. I don't know that their squad is as well suited to Nuno. They've certainly got. See, they don't have the centre backs. They don't have the defenders to play Nuno's shape, Nuno's style. Um, Arnie Slot looks like he's actually their favourite choice, but it, it, it's all gone a bit quiet there. I think he's better off staying at Feyenoord. Michael Scubala is the interim manager at the moment. I don't imagine he gets it. Postacoglu is not taking it. Van Hansenbroek is an interesting one. Uh, he's the manager of Ghent in Belgium. He plays a very, very, very attacking style of play. And his teams are lots of fun to watch. He would be well suited to this Leeds group. They failed when he went to Anderlecht. But he's done really well at Ghent. I don't know. It's a big risk to bring someone from Belgium who's got no experience in the league and isn't exactly a, a top, top level manager. And Kjell Nutzen is then, he's about 25 to 1 as well. I don't think he's the right choice there. For Leeds, I think he'd be a better choice at Saints. I think Gallardo makes loads of sense for Leeds. As I said, I think the best choice would be Abel Ferreira, but he hasn't been linked at all. Um, Carlos Corboron looked like he was the top choice for Leeds initially, but he has signed a new deal at West Brom and is committed to staying there. So, And I think that's the right decision for him. I really do think that's the right decision for him. Both of these clubs have got to get these decisions right. 
neither of them can afford to appoint Gerard Lampard, any dross like that. They've got to get this right. They've got to get good managers in. And Alfred Schroeder is not the right manager for Leeds. Nor is Jesse Marsh the right manager for Saints, in my view. Nuno, I think Nuno, discipline is what this Southampton team needs. I think Nuno's the right fit there. I think Gallardo's probably the right fit at Leeds if they can convince him. Um, but if if I'm Saints, I am I am ringing Pochettino and saying, look, just till the end of the season, just give us five months till the end of the season. Keep us up. We'll give you ten million to keep us up a ten million bonus or whatever he wants. Give him whatever he wants, and at least then you know. You can go on and do whatever you want at that point. Other jobs will open up. I'd throw a big bag of money at him. And then if Conte's gone, like Guy says here, if Conte's gone in the summer, he walks into the Spurs job. Just repeats the same cycle. And then when he leaves his Spurs job, he goes back to PSG. Works for everybody. Um, But yeah, Alfred Schroeder would be a poor appointment in my view. I just don't think he's a good manager. I really don't think he's a good manager. Uh, Neil Warnock. Is back. Speaking of managers, Neil Warnock is the new Huddersfield Town manager. Just when we thought it was safe, just when we thought he was retired, Neil Warnock is back. Huddersfield are 23rd of 24 teams in the championship, and they have really gone into the back of the, the closet, knocked the mothballs and cobwebs and all sorts out of the way and dragged Neil Warnock out of retirement. Uh, Huddersfield, I think desperation has taken hold there. But yeah, I mean, I just, I, I just think it's interesting. I just think it's such an interesting approach to go for Neil Warnock. Anyway, we'll move on. Garth Crooks has done his team of the week. Uh, Gaeta, not really sure why he's in the team of the week. Uh, Craig Dawson, no, definitely not. Woodface made one big tackle on Harry Kane, which led to a, a Leicester goal. So I think that's why he's in. Uh, Luke Shaw got an assist, so that's why he's in. Um. Enzo was great. I can accept him. Madison scored. So that's why he's in. William played well and scored. So, yeah, fair enough. Uh, De Bruyne in over Gundogan is ridiculous. Flat out ridiculous. Uh, Ian Acho, no problem. Tony absolutely deserves it. I didn't think Rashford played well. So, that's a no. He's in because he scored a goal. Uh, Ivan Tony, by the way, bullied William Saliba. William Saliba contested 10 aerial duels at the weekend and lost all of them. That is staggering. Ivan Tony monstered, absolutely monstered that Arsenal defence. And I think we're going to see more and more teams look to do the same, look to be direct. Now, bear in mind, next weekend, after they play City, the next game for Arsenal is Villa, who've got Ollie Watkins up front. And I think you can very much use Ollie Watkins to batter that Arsenal defence. Ivan Tony, 14 aerial duels, won 12 of them. 21 total duels, won 17 of them. That is incredible. He is he is brilliant. I think Ivan Tony is absolutely brilliant. And I've said it before, if I was in charge of a an upwardly mobile mid-table Premier League club with a bit of heft behind us, like Aston Villa, for example, he would be my first signing. I'd stick him and Watkins up front together. Now stop us. Nice direct brand of football. Nobody would enjoy playing against that pair. Nobody. They would be absolutely horrible to play against. Size, strength, pace, power, 
Bring it in the air. Tony's an elite level finisher. Watkins finishing fluctuates, but he's such a threat running off the shoulder. It would be a thing of beauty, ladies and gentlemen. A thing of beauty. Ivan Tony and Ollie Watkins. If I was Liverpool manager and I was looking to move to a two-man front line and I wanted to play Salah wide or perhaps Salah was leaving, I think I might even look at Ivan Tony, the partner Darwin, and use him as the target man and have Darwin run off him. Because Darwin's like a much better version of Ollie Watkins. That's that's what Darwin projects out as. A much better version of Ollie Watkins. I'm not even much better, but a, a, certainly a better version. Um, very similar enough skill sets. You know, like to run in the channels, hardworking, finishing fluctuates. I think Darwin's got a bit more about his game, but yeah, I think that's I think that's who Ollie Watkins reminds me of is basically a a, a budget version of Darwin. Which is not a bad thing. I think Ollie Watkins is very, very good. But um, I'd love to see him play with Ivan Tony. I just think it'd be really fun to watch defenders try and cope with the two of them. I don't even know how you'd manage it. Because if you can just bombard them with crosses and long balls, a bit of Sean Dyche football, I, I think you'd, you'd have... If you get good delivery into them, I, I think it's over. I think they're going to score multiple goals per game between them or create those for runners from midfield like a Jacob Ramsey or an Emmy Buendia. So, uh, yeah. Anyway, moving on. Um, we just have the gossip left, I think. Yeah. We do just have the gossip left. Uh, Chris Hutton has been named Ghana manager. So that's worth a mention. Um, Manchester United and Leeds have both moved to condemn unacceptable chants from their fans. There were some horrendous things chanted in that game. Uh, Leeds fans very, very audibly chanting about Munich, about the crash. I mean, it's it's horrendous at any point. It's particularly horrendous a week out from the anniversary. Shame on everybody involved. And shame on the United fans who chanted back about Istanbul and the Leeds fans that were murdered there uh, years back. That's disgusting as well. Like, your point scoring of people dying, that is miserable. It's not banter. It's not funny. There's nothing good about that. Your point scoring of people's deaths. Shame on everybody involved. And I hope the CCTV footage picks out the ringleaders involved and they get banned because they've got no place going to games. Shameful, shameful behaviour. Moving on, let's do the gossip and we will be done for the day. Tottenham are among the admirers of James Madison. I've always thought he'd make sense there as like an Ericsson replacement, something they have lacked. Tottenham are determined not to allow Harry Kane to join a Premier League rival this summer amid interest from United and Bayern. I think if he leaves, he should go to Bayern. Because he'd just go and win a bunch of stuff. Go and win a bunch of stuff. Oh, Guy is reminding me that the one flaw in my Ivan Tony plan is that he could be facing an extremely long ban. Yeah, that... I mean, it might, it might bring the price down. It might bring the price down. Uh, Christian Pulisic is said to be part of a summer clear-out at Chelsea, along with Hakim Ziyech and Romelu Lukaku. Romelu Lukaku is not leaving on a permanent deal unless Chelsea are willing to give him away. Simple as that. He's going to be on loan for a couple of years. AC Milan are set to revive their interest in Fowler and Balogun. That would be fun. Putting him there at AC Milan with the Ketelier and Rafa Liao and watching the three of them develop together. It could be a lot of fun. Um, Mikel Arteta has hinted at plans to keep Balogun at Arsenal. Uh, you'd probably have to let Eddie and Ketia go if that's the case, because I don't think you can keep the two of them and Jesus, and Jesus is clearly going to be staying. Milan are also keen on Naby Keita. Could see that. He'd make a lot of sense there. Liverpool and Newcastle have held talks over a permanent move, sorry, possible move, for Jonathan Thaw. Um, no, I'm not buying this one at all. Uh, Jonathan Thaw, when he was like 18, 19, was a very, very 
highly regarded, highly promising young defender. Uh, when he broke through at Hamburg, he looked like he could have a huge career. Had a really good loan at Fortuna Dusseldorf. But since moving to Leverkusen, he has stagnated and he is the same defender now as he was in 2015. Um, so I'm not having it at all. If you're buying a defender from Leverkusen, he's fifth on the list. He's fifth on the list. You would absolutely look at Frimpong, the right back, who's fantastic talent. Hincapier, centre-back or left-back. Tapsapa, centre-back. And Kusano, who's really, really good. And I like for me, that should be the back four. Frimpong, right-back. Hincapier, left-back. Uh, Kasunu and uh, Tapsapa as the centre-backs. That as a back four, with Frimpong free to attack and the other three able to shift across and form a back three defensively, that would be really strong. And I'd love to see Leverkusen be able to keep this team together because I think if you put a good goalkeeper in there and one more in midfield, I think they're set up to be really, really impressive. You've got the incredibly gifted Florian Verts, Adam Plazic, Amin Adli. You've got um, Patrick Schick to get your goals. They've another really promising centre back there, Noam Mabamba, that they kind of nicked off Club Bruges. Really, really promising. Uh, they've got a, a solid collection of midfielders. Demer Bay's decent. Andridge is he's okay. Amiri's decent. Uh, I do like um, Ezekiel Palacios quite a bit. They've got Musa Diaby as another wing option, who I missed out. Sauder Ausman as a backup nine. Like It's a really, really good squad. I don't know how they started the season so poorly because like Sione is a really good manager, but it all went it all went really badly at the start of the season. He got sacked. Alonso took over. They're doing very well, but they did very well last season under Sione. So I don't know how much is Alonso and how much is the players are just really good. Uh, we'll wait and see in time. But I really like that squad. I think if you, if you could add a good goalkeeper, because Lucas Radecki is not for me, and a a shielding holding midfielder, like a good shielding holding midfielder, I think they're potentially in time a title contender. It might take another 18 months to get there. And I don't think they'll be able to hold on to these players that long, which is such a shame because that is a very, very good squad of players. They're so much fun to watch as well. Where does... um? They're currently eighth under Alonso. And he has turned things around massively because they were 16th. Uh, they were 17th at one point. But yeah, they've won six of the last eight with defeats to um, Dortmund, which is fair enough. Augsburg's a disappointing one. But yeah, they're a lot of fun. A lot of fun. And... Uh, I got completely sidetracked. But Jonathan Tha, no, 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 thank you. He's a backup centre-back. Or he should be a backup centre-back at that club, let alone anywhere else. Manchester United are preparing to sign Marcel Sabitzer permanently if he impresses on his loan. Tottenham could move for Benfica talent spotter Rui Pedro Braz if the current managing director of football, Fabio Patricia, Fabio Paratici, rather, is given a worldwide ban following the, his implication in the financial scandal at Juve. Um, Paratici's garbage anyway, so they would be better off getting rid of him. Uh, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang will reject LAFC and fight for his place at Chelsea. Manchester United, Arsenal and Liverpool have all tell talks with Anzu Fati's agent. United are also monitoring highly rated Belgian midfielder Arthur Vermeeren of Royal Antwerp. Um, he is he is very, very highly regarded. 
He's only just turned 18. Really, really talented player. Reminds me quite a bit of Florian Verts. Someone's going to, whoever gets him is going to get a hell of a player. I think he should stay where he is for at least another year and develop. I don't think a Premier League move is the right move for him next. I think he'd be better off going somewhere like the Bundesliga or even Serie A and allowing his technical side to flourish a bit more. Um, But yeah, super talented player. Uh, Liverpool may be willing to sell superstar players, including Mo Salah this summer. Contact has been made between Real Madrid and Jurgen Klopp over the German replacing Carlo Ancelotti in the summer. Liverpool would accept a bid of around 15 million for Joel Matip. I think that's fair. Some Chelsea personnel are resigned to losing Mason Mount, who does not want to sign a new contract. I think he's going to leave. I do think he's going to leave. Uh, Stephen Gerrard is very interesting in replacing, in, in, very interested in replacing Jesse Marsh. If Leeds are clever, they'll have no interest in having Stephen Gerrard. Gerrard would bring Gary McAllister back to Ellen Road. That it doesn't matter who he would bring. He's not a good manager. Manchester United are in talks with Marcus Rashford about a contract extension. Newcastle are plotting a move to sign Sergei Milinkovic Savage. Could be a lot of fun. Manchester United are interested in signing Paulo Dybala. What year is this? Atletico Madrid and Portugal forward João Felix is emerging as a potential summer target for Real Madrid. I have serious doubts about that one. Wolverhampton Wanderers, Portugal midfielder Ruben Neves will listen to offers from Manchester United, Liverpool and Newcastle after Barcelona ruled out a possible move for him. Uh, Inigo Martinez would prefer a move to Barcelona than Atletico Madrid. Fair play. Uh, you're going to sit on the bench either way, son, so it just depends which view you like the best. Um, Paris Saint-Germain are desperate to prize Pep Guardiola away from Man City. Harry Kane will turn down a European move in favour of staying in the Premier League. It's football insider, so you might as well throw it in the bin. Um, Frank Kessie refused to move to Tottenham. I swear I've seen that one before. Marquinhos has agreed terms on a new deal with Paris Saint-Germain. It's a shame he's wasted his career there. Um, Barcelona manager Xavi says the closer, club are close to agreeing a new contract with Sergio Roberto. Makes sense to keep one of the old group around. Let, let the rest of them go, though. Uh, Luke Ayling could be set for a new deal at Ellen Road. That would be a mistake. AC Milan and Inter Milan are considering Maurizio Sarri as their next manager. Okay. Switzerland and Fulham defender Kevin Mbappu is in advanced talks with Servette as he looks to leave the club. That's been a disastrous move for everybody involved. Chelsea are among the clubs monitoring David Rea. Um, Okay. Chelsea are interested in signing Barcelona and Morocco winger Abdi Ezal Zuli. The 21-year-old is currently on loan at Osasuna. Super talented, but he doesn't seem to realize he's playing a team game. It's very much him and a group of other people that get in his way. Uh, Liverpool want to sign Anderlecht's Dutch goalkeeper Vart Verbruggen with a view to him becoming their future number one. Um, I would suggest that Liverpool view Marcelo Pitaluga as their future number one. But from what I've heard, not seen, heard, this this kid is meant to be very Alisson-esque, but I haven't seen him. Barcelona want to bring Pep Guardiola, Rodri and Julian Alvarez to the club if they are, to, to the club, if City are sanctioned for breaking the Premier League's financial uh, rules. Rodri makes a ton of sense. Alvarez doesn't really. He's like he's don't get me wrong, he's really good, but just thinking stylistically of what they actually need, I don't think he does. But yeah, Pep. I mean, I, I don't understand why they want Pep back, considering how well they're doing under Xavi. There's no doubt Pep is a better manager, 
But if I look at the La Liga table very quickly, uh, I see Barcelona top 11 points clear. 11 points clear. Now, Real have a game in hand. That will make the gap eight points. Barca have lost once in the league this season. They've only conceded seven goals. They're averaging two goals scored per game and 0.3 goals conceded per game. They're walking the league. Why would you change manager? Sean Dyche has made it a priority to give Jordan Pickford a new contract. Fair enough. Uh, Tottenham face being without Benton Curve for the rest of the season. That's okay. Jesse Marsh is under consideration for the um, Leeds job. Southampton are interested in Torino manager Ivan Juric. Newcastle are leading Liverpool and Barcelona in the race to sign Daichi Kamada. I'm not sure there is much of a race. I'm not sure uh, any of those clubs are involved, but um, Liverpool, I, I just don't imagine they are involved in, in that. I, I like, really like Daichi Kamada, but I just don't imagine Liverpool are in for him. Uh, Southampton and Leeds want Marcelo Gallardo as the new manager. Football insider, so it's probably not true. Um, Flamingo and Flamengo, rather, and Brazil forward Pedro is on the radar of West Ham. He's a good player. Crystal Palace are keeping tabs on 28-year-old Celtic and Japan forward Kyogo Furuhashi. They can keep their eyes where they want. They can keep their hands clean off them. Uh, France midfielder Adrian Rabio says he does not know what will happen when his contract with Juventus runs out. You will sign for whatever club can put up with your mother. That's what will happen, son, because, like, not to be disrespectful, but she's an absolute weapon. And all the clubs that have ever spoken to her have run a mile. They've run a mile. She has completely torpedoed your career. So why are you still allowing her to handle your affairs? Anyway, that'll do. I will see you all tomorrow. Take care of yourselves. Uh, I probably will be angry tomorrow and I could be shouting quite a bit, uh, which is good because my voice is back at least. So I'll see you then. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.